Listen, if you have benefited in any way from knowing faith, then there you may not know this, but there's an engine behind that, and that's TVC Resources, the Village Church Resources. You can go to tvcresources.net to see a lot of those resources. And I'm sitting here with one of the architects and builders of TVC Resources, Ryan Williamson. Hello, Kyle. Producer Ryan, tell us a little bit, just real quick, what are, what is TVC Resources? What's the goal? TVC Resources is making creative discipleship resources for the everyday believer. So things like explainer videos, knowing faith, and a kids podcast coming in January of 2020. Yes. So uh, Ryan and other people on the TVC resources team have been integral in providing free, creative, vibrant, strong, substantive resources for a long time. And the podcast is one of those. There are other things that are coming up. The explainer videos, I don't know if you've seen these explainer videos, but they're tremendously well done on very helpful topics, things like sanctity of human life, the providence of God, creation. There are a lot of great videos out there. And so I really hope that you'll check out tvcresources.net. And in the month of December, they're raising funds. I mean, there's a giving campaign for TVC Resources to help try to subsidize so that this church can continue to provide really strategic, really vibrant, really creative resources for the church free of charge, right? Correct. So if you go to tvcresources.net, you'll see a little pop-up pull up so that you can say, hey, I would love to bless TVC Resources so that they can continue to provide quality free resources for me, my family, and the church. Abroad. So we hope that you'll check that out, tvcresources.net. This episode is sponsored in part by Logos. Logos is the premier Bible study software package. It's exceptional. I use it every day. I use it to prepare for preaching, for teaching, for my own personal Bible study, to prepare for these episodes. My favorite function of Logos is that I can put all of these incredible resources and I can search for one key phrase, one key idea across Thousands, that's not a joke, thousands of resources all at the same time. Listen, they're offering an incredible deal each episode, the Logos 8 Silver Base Package, just for the Knowing Faith audience, $1,000 value per package. You can enter the contest to try to win this package every episode by going to logos.com slash knowingfaith. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jen Wilkin and JT English. I wish we could just give you everything <laughs> no. that happens off the air. No. It was <laughs> just a repository. No. Well, maybe one day we, we'll put that out Best into of. the ether. Um, on today's episode, we are in Acts to look at a blanket full of bacon in Acts chapter 10. Hope you enjoy the discussion. Hey, JT, why did you immediately come in here and make fun of my mug? I didn't make fun of your mug. There's this problem. Like We all have these huge coffee mugs in here right now, and I can't fit my coffee mug in my... Yours looks like it would fit in your cup holder. Mine does. Well, it fit, but, okay, so Jen's is, but it's still big. Like That's like a gallon or so over there. <laughs> we had a mic run in there. I just uh, smacked the <laughs> microphone with but my... But like, your, your coffee <laughs> mug, it's, like it's like you have to hold it with both hands Yes, while this, you're driving. Yeah, it, it feels it's not like, going to fit in... It's, <laughs> more, it's more like a small bucket. It is. Than a big mug. <laughs> Why do you have a straw in your coffee <laughs> mug? Yeah, this is just PVC like a boba tea. Like, yeah, like, like PVC pipe. Um, well, we are back, and uh, today we're talking about Acts chapter ten and a blanket full of bacon. Um, and so, just figuring out what's happening in Acts chapter ten. Like um, Bait Warley lives. Well, you know what? Let me tell you something. You're, I'm, you're never going to indict me for not having an interesting episode title. Mm-hmm. It's just I'm like I'm free from that accusation. Jen, what would you call this episode? Pigs in a blanket. <laughs> 
<laughs> that happened off air. We were very proud of that. We brought it back on. Here it is. We're not missing any good banter. No, nope, nope. no. We you were can't gonna... leave people without pigs it, in a blanket. It's Goodness, true. it's true. So but then I had a weird moment after that hit me when we were actually my daughter. I want to give her credit. She's the one who was like, "Mom, are you teaching on pigs in a blanket?" And then I, it took everything in me to resist googling to see if there was actual a tie between the title pigs in a blanket and this chapter really like i thought maybe the international house of pancakes red axe 10 and, and then named it that yeah wow oh oh wait 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 so you thought that it was possible that maybe <laughs> linguistically <laughs> that, that the idea the concept of pigs in a blanket had come, yeah, from, this. come from the bible wow yeah you're so yeah bible literate you i'm see, always looking you're like you're like the beautiful mind person now maybe. where you're just Is like it beautiful though well um <laughs> Subject to further discussion. Okay. Well, uh, today we're talking about pigs in a blanket or a blanket full of bacon. We're in Acts chapter 10. Let's just do a quick recap so far. Uh, Jen, how did we get to Acts 10? I mean, what, 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 where have we been at before we got here? Well, Kyle, it's been a long haul. <laughs> no, actually, it's been really good. We've gone through, uh, so the first half of Acts is, is focusing mainly on the, um, the emergence of the ministry of Peter within the narrative. And uh, so the first half of the book wraps up uh, at the you know, around the end of chapter 12. And so when you're in chapter 10, you would know then we're really getting to sort of the the main point of, of what's happening in Peter's ministry. And uh, interestingly, right before you get to chapter 10, you see the conversion of Saul. So the text has just spent a lot of time talking about Saul. Uh, and we actually did on, a, on an earlier podcast. And so you can kind of get the sense that, oh, well, I guess now we're going to talk about Saul slash Paul. And Saul slash Paul is commonly thought of as... Um, the one who takes the gospel to the Gentiles. Gentiles. And so then it's a little bit of a surprising turn when we flash back to Peter and find that actually this is a story about Peter taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Yeah, and he's going to, he definitely gets kicked there, right? Yeah. It's not like... He's not looking for the opportunity. Right. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't out vision casting for the gospel going forth to the Gentiles. Right, right. But the Lord kind of seized him into it. Right. Pulled him into it. Mm -hmm. And that's the story uh, in Acts chapter 10, focusing on Peter and Cornelius. And so, I think, well, and also you know, what we, what, what's brought us to this point is like this, this expansion, this sort of ratcheting out of the vision for who the gospel is going to go to. And so first it comes to the Jew and then you start seeing, you know, like, oh, there's the Ethiopian eunuch. Oh, you know, it's like each, each vignette that's in here of who receives the gospel is this, this, this picture of the gospel going, as Jesus has said in Acts 1-8, um, from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria. And so this week is the ends of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and this is a fascinating story, mm-hmm. right? Oh, man, it's fantastic. I mean, it's just, it's really interesting just from like a history of redemption perspective. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting from, a, a, gosh, the spirit moving in Peter and Cornelius perspective. It's interesting from a what are visions and dreams perspective. It's interesting from a just like the pictures that are used are interesting <laughs> pictures. So it's just a fascinating story. So we're not going to be able to read the whole story of Peter and Cornelius because it's, it's long. It would take up. You know, we're trusting that when we cover these chapters that you're maybe reading along with us or you're familiar with the story. So the broad kind of contour here, just to give us like a big arc of Acts chapter 10, is that Pete, uh, there's this guy named Cornelius, uh, and Cornelius is a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. And it says that he was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. Uh, and that he is going to have a vision. Uh, and that vision is going to be the Lord speaking to him. Uh, and that at around the same time, Peter seems to be having a vision. And that is uh, a vision that involves 
pigs and blankets. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes. Uh, and so I think one of the questions that we immediately ask ourselves here is, you go, what's the big deal between Gentiles and Jews? Like, why is this even a talking point of significance at all? Like, why if you're just a casual reader of the Bible and you get to this story, Mm -hmm. you're like, why did Peter have to be kicked, so to speak, into bringing the good news to Cornelius? Why wasn't that just a de facto like, hey, I mean, Jesus has come. This is good news. Why not bring it to everybody? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the main themes that we're going to see probably throughout this episode is the significance of a promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, specifically that, that, uh, that Abraham or Abram at the time was this man who was going to be elected for the purpose of his family then blessing the nations. You then see subsequently in Genesis 15 and 17 that this this uh, promise of the good news of God's favor and blessing being given to Abraham and going through Abraham, there was a sign given to this covenant, specifically the sign of circumcision, which is now the Jewish people. It's the Israelites. And But over the course of time, I think they began to, to forget that the purpose of their election of the gospel, the good news being given to them was actually actually not just for them, but election is for the purpose of others, of blessing right. mm-hmm. the nations corporately. Mm-hmm. And they began developing uh, a spiritual superiority based upon this sign of circumcision. Mm-hmm. And they could not see how God would bless or or make somebody clean who was in their mind unclean unless they had been circumcised. So really when you come to the New Testament, one of the primary questions that is being asked, like their their theological conversation is, is around this question. Do you have to be Jewish right. in order to be a Christian? We're going to see this answered later in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council. But that's really what's happening here is Luke is doing, he's giving us a theological narrative to show us that the primary question that that that, that God is trying to show his church is that my intentions the whole time mm-hmm. has been to bless everybody, mm-hmm. to bless the Gentiles, not just the Jews, but to bless the Gentiles through the Jews. Yeah, uh, because obviously the Messiah comes through Abraham's family. Right. Well, and one of the reasons that we wouldn't read through this on the on the podcast uh, is because it repeats itself mm-hmm. so yes. Yes, much, it right? And 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 one of the things that we have to ask then is why, like the, the repetition is like, we get all the detail over and over. I mean, the, t- the number of times that Simon, the Tanner who lives by the sea is mentioned in the, in these, <laughs> you know, in these retellings, you're like, stop. And it's repeated three times. The story is repeated three times. And there are actually a number of threes in the story uh, or multiples of three that are, are trying to tell us something. Um, there are going to be three men who accompany that go to get Peter. They're going to be six men that come with Peter back to Cornelius's house because they're bearing witness it's the idea of on on the on the testimony of two or three is the truth of something established so that's all going on the story is given to us three times it itself is bearing witness and what we have to ask is why so much over and over again the same thing and it's because i think we we're looking back on something and and, and most of us are gentiles we don't have a jewish heritage and and we have to recall um, that this level of repetition and this much care taken around communicating this particular message about clean versus unclean, about yeah. is is Christianity um, something that is placed within Judaism and grows out from it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, do you have to observe Jewish custom? That to the original audience, this is 
mind blowing yeah. at the point that it is being given to them. Like it is like that cannot possibly be. And yet it's in here three times because as JT said, it, it's the fulfillment. It is a fulfillment passage for the promise to Abram that through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Yeah. 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 And I think it is easy for us to, to be dismissive of some of the tensions between the Jewish people and somebody like Cornelius. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, it's not like the Israelite people were had no reason to have a little bit of he, certainly hesitancy, mm-hmm. but if uh, if not just hesitancy, but outright resistance to the idea of Gentiles being heirs of the Abrahamic promises. Why? Because they had a history of being enslaved, exiled, and oppressed mm-hmm. by these groups of people, mm-hmm. right? That's right. So like Cornelius, when we kind of turn to the question of who is Cornelius mm-hmm. – well, Cornelius is a, he's a centurion. He's like a leader. He's a soldier. Of an oppressing army, of an, an oppre- occupying army. Exactly. So it's like the idea of Peter uh, going to Cornelius and saying, there's good news for you, Cornelius, would be to bring the good news of Christ the Lord and this better kingdom to an oppressive enemy. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And so it can feel a little bit like if you're reading this, you're like, well, why the hesitation? Well, not only were there strict tradi- religious traditions that separated from a cleanliness perspective Jews from Gentiles and Gentiles from the inner presence of the Lord uh, or the, the, the holiest places uh, around the presence of Yahweh, uh, but there were also very big cultural and political realities mm-hmm. that that kept division alive mm-hmm. among Jews and Gentiles. And so Cornelius is a centurion. Uh, he was uh, uh, of what was known as the Italian cohort, but he is described as a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, I wanted to pause here uh, and just ask a little bit. So Cornelius is described as somebody who fears God, mm-hmm. and yet he hasn't heard the good news of the gospel. Mm-hmm. What's going on here, right? Is this like the uh, – uh, is this the – you know, I, sometimes I read this passage. I feel like this is where people would go when they're like, well, you know, there's somebody out there who maybe has never heard about the name of Jesus, but is like – but does fear the Lord. Right. So who – what does this mean? Why is this a scripture significant? I think this is a classic example of why we can't take the book of Acts as prescriptive and everything that it's saying, because what we're seeing is you're right at the hinge point, right? You're right at that place in between um, the way that we see faith demonstrated um, and credited as righteousness in the Old Testament and the way that we're going to see um, belief and credit credited as faith and salvation in the New Testament. And Cornelius is right at the center of it. He's going to help us answer answer the question of how does salvation come by grace through faith alone has always been the answer. But we would speak of like those who are listed in Hebrews 11 as having looked forward to the promise of salvation. And then New Testament believers as having looked back. Yeah. He's right at ground zero. Yeah. And so I think that what we see here, it, well, so just strictly in terms of what the text wants to communicate, he is a Jewish proselyte, right? Mm-hmm. So he is he he is probably on the verge of conversion to Judaism. Right. So he's he's probably attending synagogue, but he's not circumcised. Mm-hmm. Um, he's someone who, in the past, would have been like, I mean, if you think about like Rahab, she converts to Judaism, or 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 Ruth is brought into the community. He's not yet in the community, but it's interesting that he is already demonstrating. He has works to accompany his faith. Yeah. So, um, so I think what we're seeing here is uh, a simple obedience to a, f- a forward-looking faith that is only forward-looking insofar as no one has come to preach the gospel to him yet. There, there is. 
Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your your copy today. The completeness to the gospel, but he hasn't heard it. Yes. So I, I actually don't think, this is my hot take, okay. that when Peter shares the gospel with him, I'm not sure that that's the moment of salvation for him because we already see the Lord appearing to him yes. and saying your yeah. prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Right. Uh, but I do think what we're seeing is the connection of the idea of what is what has been salvation and now what is salvation. Yeah, and we do see throughout Acts, I don't know that we, we've hit another one of these yet, but we do see these moments where there's essentially a group of characters that have a part of the story mm-hmm. and that one of the apostles they is sent bring yep. to bring the other yep. part of the story, mm-hmm. right? So you see this with typically uh, the, the receiving of the Holy Spirit yep. or baptism of the Holy Spirit, yes. where it's like you have a part of the story, yeah. a group of people who are like, yeah, I've been baptized by John the Baptist. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, there's there's more. Mm-hmm. Do you know that like that, that the Christ came, mm-hmm. that he died, that he rose again, and that he has sent the Spirit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so there are these kind of points. And I think it's important what you said that uh, about Cornelius, that there are so many scenes in Acts where we need to fight maybe the the temptation to go, okay, this is how salvation works. Right. Um, as opposed to going, okay, this is a very specific overlap moment in the history of redemption. And this is one kind of cutaway scene right. of that very unique once in a history of redemption kind of moment. Yeah. Right? That's right. I also just find a lot of comfort in the fact that God was was and is providential over all of it. Yeah. yeah. In other words, this doesn't work if God isn't clearly directing right. Peter, clearly directing yeah. Cornelius, clearly directing the men who are with him. Yeah. Like God is moving all yeah. of these tectonic continental plates mm-hmm. uh, and there's there's just movement in redemptive history happening and we get we get this great confidence or assurance in this narrative that God ultimately is the one doing it. Yes. Yeah. That's good. God gets his people. He does it. Yeah. Um, we don't uh, have to be more anxious about God's mission than he is. He's not very anxious. Yeah, Uh, yeah, you're right. Um, Oh, that's good. I needed to hear that today. (laughs) 
Hey, JT, does your life feel really calm, restful? Do you feel like you have a lot of time to reflect and to consider things? Always. That's my main experience in life. <laughs> I know Just that. chilling, man. I know that's not true. Every one of my times of rest is interrupted by a trolling text message from you. <laughs> so, it's because I'm at rest and you're not. Well, that's, there's probably <laughs> truth there. Well, listen, if you're like me and JT, then you are looking for strategic opportunities to withdraw for rest and reflection and for consideration. And Way Forward Adventures has created a space free from noise and distractions for you to dive deeper in your relationship, discover who God has made you to be while on a backpacking journey in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, you know some people I, I that do, went yeah. On this. I know some guys who went on this trip last year and had a blast. I mean, they loved the experience of being in the mountains, but I think the best part for them was just the community, getting time with each other and getting time with God. Yeah, we had a group of men from Mosaic Go, and this summer we're going to have a group of uh, ladies go as well. And I just tell you, those guys came back and they had great opportunities to consider just what it meant to rest in Christ and to do that together as a group. So listen, if you're interested in maybe taking another step with Way Forward Adventures, you can go to wayforwardadventures.com. You can mention Knowing Faith and get $50 off of your trip. Wayforwardadventures.com. Find clarity, discover life, build your way forward. Uh, Acts 10, we get to Peter's vision. And I do want to read this part of it because this is the part well, we named the episode after this part. Well, so wait, God t- God says, yes. hey, um, you need to send for Peter. Yeah. And, and so Cornelius is immediately obedient, sends three people to go get him. Yep. And so it says in verse nine of chapter 10, the next day as they were on their journey, these are the people that Cornelius has sent, mm-hmm. and they are in approaching the city, Peter went up on the house up about the sixth hour to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, He fell into a trance, saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. That's every hunter's favorite verse. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard that, but yeah, that's funny. Um, It needs to be like a bumper sticker. Yeah, no, I'm sure it is. Um, uh, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Um, but that is such a, a like an old school Baptist preacher <laughs> aside right there. You've got you've got more of the spirit in you, you know than me. you think. Yeah. Um, but Peter, but Peter said, "By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean." And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So, what is this about, right? Um, and this idea of there being these animals and reptiles and birds and Peter is worried about eating these things because they're clean or they're not clean. So maybe if just for the listener here, could we exercise this a little bit in terms of what, why is, where is this coming from in Peter? Like <clears throat> why these dietary restrictions? Why is he afraid about eating these animals? And what, what is the clean, unclean distinction that he's making here? Yeah, I mean, this is the Old Testament dietary laws. And so when the blanket descent or something like, it's important to notice this, something like a great sheet, which is that language we've seen like something like tongues of fire, something like the sound like a rushing wind. So it's meant to cue us that he's having this vision. It's not entirely 
clear to him what's going on. And that's what we're going to see is his perplexity, perplexedness, as he's trying to discern what this dream means. Um, But what is immediately apparent to to Peter, though it may not have been immediately apparent to us, is that cleanliness is what, the the clean or unclean distinction is what's at stake. So if you're ceremonially unclean, then you cannot cannot offer your sacrifice to the Lord. So to the Jew, remaining ceremonial clean clean was, was of paramount importance. Interestingly, the topic has already been set up for us before we see the blanket descend in the detail that was mentioned about where Peter is staying in Joppa that keeps getting reported for us. He is staying at the home of Simon the... Tanner. And a tanner is someone who... Tans leather. Which comes from... (laughs) Animals. What kind of animals? Uh, Cows. The dead kind. Okay. And so (laughs) Simon the tanner, although he is within the Jewish community, has a profession that is unclean. He touches dead animals. And so the fact that Peter stays in his house tells us that he's already being softened Mm -hmm. to a broader understanding of who he might associate with. And this is the next step for him. Right. And, And so... Uh, this idea of clean, unclean, and its connection to dietary laws. If you read the Pentateuch, yeah. right? If you read the, the first five yeah. books of the Old Testament, which we recommend, by you, the way. Which, you, which, are, which are highly formative for the rest of the story. Yeah. Uh, that when you get there, you're going to find all sorts of laws. You're not just going to find the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. You're going to find a lot of things, and included in there are going to be a set of dietary laws. Mm-hmm. Don't eat shellfish. Yes, pork, uh, cloven hoof, uh, cloven hoofed animals. Don't touch dead animals. Right. I mean, just all sorts of stuff right. you're going to find in there. And there is, I think, a very legitimate question on the part of readers as to why. Right. Why? Why all these dietary laws and restrictions? And so, JT, if you're sitting across from somebody and they're going, hey, why does God care about what kind of animal? Yeah, what kind of animals Israel was eating? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to handle this. And so it kind of depends on why the person's asking the question. I think the primary reason, though, is God is simply trying to set his people apart. Yeah. He's doing it through... Uh, laws that pertain to morality. He's doing it through laws that pertain to just distinguishing them from the nations. And the food laws primarily were to distinguish them from the nations. You guys are going to be a people set apart, living in a land differently so that the nations will know that you're mine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's it's something that becomes, I mean, like when you're, if you're, if you're one of Abraham's children, this is something that you you understandably, it results in some spiritual pride because they understand themselves to be set apart from the nations. Mm -hmm. And so if you're think if you're, if you're, uh, if you're Peter or you're a guy that's hanging around Peter, even not an apostle, you're just not even a disciple, but you're just, you're a Jew in second temple Judaism. The things that you think distinguish you are circumcision, food laws, Mm -hmm. and then Sat in ritual, like, ritual, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. festivals, like coming to Jerusalem for festivals. And what you see is progressively God is saying, these aren't the things that distinguish you yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's one of the things that's really interesting is when I hear that question, there's always kind of this undercurrent of like, why would God care to be directing these ordinary mundane things mm-hmm. in the lives right. of his people? Mm-hmm. Which I think you have to challenge just that alone, mm-hmm. which is that if this God is the holy God of the world who has created and sustains the world. The question is not, why would he care about something? The question is, why wouldn't he mm-hmm. care about all things? things yeah. mm-hmm. um, and that the invitation to Israel from the beginning of God calling his people in covenant with Abraham and out of Egypt was that you will be marked by my presence and for my presence to be in your midst will mean that every part of your life 
has to be different. It's going to be ordered. Right. It's going to be ordered. It's going to be different. And the one who gets to do that ordering and differentiation is God. Mm-hmm. Well, and so Peter's response is actually interesting because if you're just reading the text at face value, he receives a direct command from God to do something. Mm-hmm. But as a devout Jew, why would he not immediately respond in obedience to the direct command from God? He says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Why? He perceives that this is a test. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so then the Lord corrects him on that. No, I'm not testing whether or not you're a faithful Jew. I am expanding your understanding of what it means to be a faithful follower of yeah. the one true God. Mm-hmm. And you can always count on Peter to try to correct God. Right. And he's just like, if somebody... <laughs> They've had if, this conversation If before. somebody's yeah. going to offer a corrective yeah. word to God, yeah. it's a very high likelihood it's yeah. going to be Peter. I mean, um, gosh, Peter, what a dummy. Well, I would never do that. What would you guys think about this question? Because like, like, I think sometimes we can think about these laws that, that Peter's trying to follow or that a Jew is trying to follow. Do you think they understood themselves as trying to earn God's favor or were they simply trying to uh, maintain covenantal relationship? <laughs> yeah. The answer is like, in the text, well, actually. Yes, and uh, that's true. But JT is also asking like maybe the most hotly debated question of New Testament studies of the last 20 or 30 years. I didn't know. Which is the Jewish understanding of the law. So what is it? Well, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I definitely don't think that they had a monolithic understanding of the law. Fair. So I think um, there's a great book by D.A. Carson where he talks about variegated nomism. Variegated nomism. nomism. Yep, it's great. Uh, okay, so we've said monolithic. Okay. We've said variegated nomism. Monolithic means completely unified. Right. Everybody, Everybody had the agrees. exact same understanding. Mm-hmm. Of the law, and I don't know that that's the case at all. Uh, not uh, now, I'm rhyming, but I didn't mean to. Um, <laughs> but this idea of variegated nomism, variegated just meaning different, and nomism being law, law. so yeah. different understandings of the law. I only said it because it's the book, not because I was trying to flex. It's the name of okay, the book. it's the name of the mm-hmm. book. But but the idea is that when we look at the New Testament, it's very easy for us to think that all of the Jewish community understood the law in the exact right. same way. But we do know for sure that there had been, particularly in the intertestamental period, the 400 years before the New Testament, there had been, in times of exile and oppression, the emergence of diverse sects within Judaism. What would be an example of that? Uh, Pharisees and Sadducees would yep. be the clearest one that you find in the New Testament. But there were the Essens, there were the Zealots. I mean, there were other... Lots of people who yes. were warring factions even yes. within Judaism. And because of exile and oppression, you also had diasporic communities of Jewish faith that had become not syncretistic, but had become more absorbed in other cultures, right? Samaritans. Exactly. So there is religious differentiation even among the Jewish community, which means there were different approaches to the law. So the I don't... Presbyterians and Baptists. <laughs> I don't know that it's the same. <laughs> uh, but I do, I do think that one of the things that we should look at when we're looking at Peter is that Peter's appeal here, his rejoinder to God, is not merely... No, God, I know I'm supposed to earn my salvation, so I'm going to keep this law. It's an understanding that I'm going to be marked as God's person by a distinct way of living. Mm -hmm. This is a part of that, and I don't want to transgress that, uh, not just because of defilement, but because of distinctiveness. He doesn't believe he's being justified by not eating. I I don't think so. I don't know that there's any reason to do that. But now, now, what do you think, Jen? I think it's possible that he did. I mean, I think like most of us, we can say, no, I don't believe I'm justified by obedience to the law, but we slip into that thinking. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that even the fact that they're all fighting over the significance of the law in the life of the Christian church should tell us that they're not clear. Yes, no, you're on, right. On what the function should be. And uh, so I'll, I'll let you know when we get to 
to, to my punchline. This is where coming I think from the sanctification Peter... girl. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Okay. Let's do <laughs> it. Well, uh, I like to think that we're all sanctification boys and girls. Okay. Yes. Uh, I'm just saying, Jen has a little track record here, saying the gospel is both justification and sanctification. Well, uh, that's and, because and Jay, glorification. That, that's because Jen has a point. track record of speaking truth. Okay. Um, <laughs> I received that. All right. So we go a little bit further in the story. Uh, so Cornelius's crew shows up, and Peter's like, "Listen, I'll go with you." Essentially, uh, and it says the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just pick out one more little detail okay, here please. because we're going to see the ratcheting open of Peter's understanding. So he was staying with Simon the Tanner. We said that was an indicator. Then um, these men arrived just at the moment that they needed to in order for this this vision to hit him the way yep. that it should. Like if they'd arrived before he has it, he's he's not going to give him the time of day. If they arrive after he's had the vision, he might have already found a way to dismiss it. But they they arrive right at the moment that he's processing what's going on. And... Um, and he, in verse 23, does something shocking. It says he invited them in to be his guests. Shouldn't have happened. Right. So he's already, right. there's already a sensitivity that's growing. Right. Up. So he's already looking for what the Lord is doing. And I think that's important for us to note because his he starts with, by no means, Lord. But you can tell that he's already saying, ah, but by what means might right. we be able to have fellowship with that's one another? That's a good point. Yeah. Good catch. And on the following day. It's almost day- like I've taught this recently, well. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So they leave. Weird. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. He called together his relatives and his close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell down his feet, uh, at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius says, hey, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying and a man stood before me in a vision. And Peter said, and the man says, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. And then call Peter. He's over with Simon the Tanner. So I sent for you. And now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. Yeah. So now the story is starting to connect. You know, Cornelius is saying, I had this vision. Mm Mm-hmm. And I sent for you and, and Peter's saying, I've come mm-hmm. and now they're here. So Peter opens his mouth and says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right, does what is right and acceptable to him. And then he goes on, he begins to say, this is the word that was given to Israel to preach the good news of peace through Christ Jesus. You yourselves know what's happened about Jesus. And he goes on in verse 39 to say, we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to all, uh, us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him re- receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fo- fell on all who heard. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is a big moment. This is kind of like a micro Pentecost in some ways. It's isn't many it? Gentile Pentecost. Yeah. 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 So like Peter shows up. He's, it's almost like he's seeing like, wow, the Lord appeared to you, right? Mm-hmm. And he, it seems like he does make a pretty hard right turn here. Well, notice what he's connected. If you look in verse 28, he says, um, he says, you know, it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit with anyone of another nation, but God has shown me, so referencing the vision, that I should not call any food common or unclean. No, what does he say? Any person mm. common or unclean. So he is he's processing what he's seen in the vision and he's saying, oh, I see, I see, I see. As a Jew, I have allowed a dietary law to make me think 
of a person is unclean instead of as a practice is unclean. And that's not right. And so then he moves down in verse 34 and he says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality or no favoritism. And this is a significant thing for him to arrive at. He says, but in every nation, right? So there's the language of Genesis 12, three, in every nation, anyone, so here are the any and the every, who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so the fears him and does what is right is a direct reference to Cornelius, who is a God-fearing man yeah. who mm-hmm. does what is right, right? So he's, he's seeing Cornelius as the poster child for salvation coming to the Gentiles, essentially. But this idea that he understands that God shows no favoritism, I believe is the breaking point. It's where he is beginning to understand that there is not a varsity level version of being a follower of Christ that involves faithful Jewish practice, that God shows a great, shows favoritism to the Jewish convert over the Gentile convert. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And so that's why I would say this whole discussion around the significance of the law is, I think it's still, it was still in process in Peter's head because the Jews, maybe not to a man, but, but, but the Jews generally believed that they, that God, they were God's favorites because they were the ones who had the yeah. law. Which was both the means of justification and sanctification, you're saying, to use theological terms. Are you trying to trap me? No, no, no. I'm really asking a question. (laughs) A high level of trust between JT and me. No, I'm really asking. Uh, Can we say that there's sanctification among the Jews? If they're unbelievers, then we wouldn't. I'm not sure what you're asking. Well, so like this, this becomes, this story, I think, becomes a big part of Paul's story and what he will then preach to the Gentile communities. So you have like in Galatians chapter three, he's like, here's what's crazy about Peter's story. Mm -hmm. Here's the one Peter's seeing the Holy Spirit descend on Cornelius. But then later in his story, you're going to see him removing himself from the Gentiles whenever the Jews are around. Right, right. Paul then says in Galatians, what happens in Acts, then he says in Galatians, I opposed Peter to his face because Mm -hmm. he was no longer believing the gospel Mm -hmm. could come to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. This becomes a big deal for the early church. And then Paul says this in Galatians chapter three, to the Galatians who were beginning to follow the party of the circumcision. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law? And there he's referring to circumcision. Right, right, right. Or by hearing with faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Sometimes when we read that, we think flesh means trying hard. Yes. That's not what Paul means. Paul means circumcision. Circumcision. Yeah. Are, are, are you being perfected through circumcision? Gosh, that's such a good example of taking a verse in, compl- in, in context, isn't it? That's right. And then he, yeah, Paul does a lot of yeah. work here with flesh and spirit. Yeah. And it's not, it's not that he's trying to, to talk about like trying hard or doing good works for God. Mm-hmm. It's specifically this attack on the circumcision party, which it's pointing back exactly to this text. Right. Is, does Peter have an understanding of himself as being perfected by circumcision right no but he sees himself as being set apart by it but it becomes this perfection for him where he does think god chose partiality in other words here's what i'm trying to ask you i'm not even sure how how what i'm trying to god does not show partiality Mm -hmm. that's clear from the Mm -hmm. text but god at the same time is bestowing divine election on people and it's not because he sees something in them 
that's worth investing in. Right. So the distinction that we made when we taught this in the class is that God does not show favoritism. God shows favor. That's good. If God showed favoritism, then he would, you know, then it would be because of something in us. Uh, But the fact that he goes, that he shows favor uh, is because there is nothing in us. Like none of us deserve favor. And that's the point that is hitting Peter is, oh, this is grace. This is grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if grace has been extended to me, then it can be extended to someone who is not an ethnic Jew or an observant or, or observant of Jewish law. And it goes all the way back to Abraham's yes. story. Does Abraham receive righteousness yeah. because he was circumcised no. or because he believed God's promises? Yes. Mm-hmm. And we know that Peter isn't settled on this even after this mm-hmm. event mm-hmm. because so the whole he sees the Holy Spirit fall on the Gentiles. He um, uh, he baptizes these people, uh, and uh, they ask him to remain. So like he's going to teach them, yeah. like he's going to instruct them. He goes back to the church. He reports and he tells them. He makes a <laughs> persuasive case that listen, the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the Gentiles. God's and it doing says, this at the end of Acts eleven in ver- or the midway point of Acts eleven. It says when they heard these things, essentially Peter's report about yeah. all that had happened, which again is a lot of retelling of the same story. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter makes a compelling case. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but in Acts 15, Peter is actually (laughs) going to like demonstrably reverse course on this. Yes. So um, I think that part of our maybe – if we're searching for what is Peter's current understanding of this and this story – well, it's probably not fully formed because it's not going to take very long at all for Peter to come. And having just seen all this happen, now Paul's going to come in, also a very faithful Jew mm-hmm. with a very strong understanding of the distinction between Gentiles and Jews in the Old Testament. He's going to come in and he's going to correct Peter mm-hmm. for continuing to apply a misunderstanding. Well, and I think, you know, this is a I love that Peter's story arc continues along a similar line that we've seen. He's consistent, right? But with all of the miraculous things that the Spirit is doing in the book of Acts, doesn't it seem like one of them would have been to just transform Peter's mind in an instant and then his actions to follow? Like he is on this consistent struggle bus. Yeah. And I resonate with it. I need to see it. I need. Well, that's the most common experience. You know, we have we have um, we have moments uh we have paul like moments that we can point to where we were instantly changed and not the same way anymore and then we have a lot of moments like peter where the truth is abundantly clear to us maybe even as peter's had here miraculously clear to us uh undisputably clear to us and we still have these ingrained patterns that we fall back into yeah if i could just make a like a little just note here at the end just pastorally, I think a lot of times the people that we lead and we teach and we shepherd, they're say, they'll say something like, man, I don't really know that I can jump in yet to the mission of God because there is still stuff I'm working right. through. But like Acts and Peter in particular is a great picture of that some of the ways that we begin to solidify and deepen our understanding of who God is and what mm-hmm. he has done, some of the ways that we grow in our understanding of Christian story and Christian belief can only come as they encounter mm-hmm. the realities of worship, mission, mm-hmm. and obedience. That as they are worked out in our life, uh, that Peter, like Peter, we find ourselves up against something that does force us mm-hmm. to consider really 
who is God and what is he doing in the world? Right. And that when we encounter that, a lot of times I think that there's a sense of I have to be really strong or deep in this area before I can begin to give witness to it. In reality, one of the ways that God deepens our understanding is in bearing witness. That's right. Um, and uh, we see that in the story of Peter. Well, and again, that the, the person that God chooses, this harkens back to all the discussions we had about David being the man of God's choosing. The difference between the the man that God chooses and the man that God has not chosen is not that the man that God chooses does everything right. Right. It's that he repents when he does things wrong. He yeah. course corrects by the power of the Spirit. You're absolutely right. Well, that was fun. I love that story. Mm-hmm. Bacon. <laughs> ba- is it time yet to go get Why the bacon? Why did we not cook bacon for this episode? I know. We really should. We, we can get some afterwards. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Listen, if there's anything you heard us talk about on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website, tvcresources.net. On our next episode, we're burrowing a little bit further into the Apostles' Creed to ask the question, what is the church? See you next time. Grace and peace. This episode is brought to you in part by Logos. Logos is the premier Bible study software tool for your computer, for your personal Bible study, your preparation for teaching and preaching. Every episode, they're offering an incredible opportunity to win the silver base package of Logos 8. You can enter that contest at logos.com slash knowingfaith.